Welcome to Channel KRT. My name is Randy, and I am blanking out on cat puns at the wrong moment. I'm Rum Tum Tyler. And I am... Actually, my name is just a cat pun now that I think about it. I'm also extremely high off of alcoholic bubbles for some reason. I literally just had a single glass of champagne, and I'm blacked out, and I don't know where I am. Don't you mean champagne? <laughs> champagne. <laughs> yeah, that's Kitty, by the way. I've forgotten my own name because <laughs> I'm so charmed by this movie. Aw. Randy, do you want to tell the audience what our topic for today is? Today we are looking at the 1962 classic? Uh, yeah, classic that no one has ever heard of for some reason. Gay Purry. Which is, of course, is a cat pun off of, you know, Gay Purry. Wait, so this movie isn't about a gay blender? What the fuck? <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Sounds like a French dish on top of that. It's like they just, it seems like one of those dishes they just slap on your plate. That's like, and some stuff, maybe snails. Well, that's escargot. (laughs) And then they just are like, we're going to make it rainbow. So now we'll be like that Halloween Whopper that Burger King does every year. Give you horrible diarrhea. (laughs) At least it makes your poop a different color. (laughs) We are very mature adults, as you know. So, in this film, you have reunited the songwriters from The Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland, and you have Paul Freeze and the Mellow Men. So, not only is this a team-up of people who were on the greatest Disney ride of all time, you also have a team-up from people who were in the greatest movie ever of all time. By all means... This should be the best thing to ever grace the screen, and it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. And that's not to mention, too, there are a couple other voice acting greats. For example, Red Buttons is is in the movie. Uh, Mel Blanc, Thurl Ravenscroft, another Haunted Mansion album, does a brief singing bit. Also, apparently this was good enough back then that Disney basically ripped it off for the Aristocats, and yet nobody knows what this movie is. <laughs> I I didn't know what it was until you told us about it. And Randy, thank you so much for telling us about it. By the way, this is also directed by Chuck Jones, who you yes. may know from The Grinch and various Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry shorts and, <laughs> and Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh, it's actually directed by Abe Levito, who was actually the director of The Phantom Tollbooth with Chuck Jones. And it's actually written by Chuck Jones as well as animated directed. So close enough. It's also based off of a treatment written by his wife, Dorothy. So yay, more Wizard of Oz connections. You see all the people working on this movie who are just absolute legends in their fields by all means this should be the most popular and beloved animated film of all time and yet it's not absolutely like especially since thanks to it everybody's still going on about how lion king was a ripoff of kimba but nobody ever talks about how aristocats was basically a ripoff of this movie like with the Kimba and the Lion King comparisons, some of them are like kind of subtle, like, oh, this character had a dead dad. Oh, this character stood on a rock and they're both lions. This is literally just like straight up ripped from the Aristocats, except you just reverse the white cat's problem. 
Fun fact about the whole Kimba and Lion King situation, the creator of Kimba actually was a big fan of Walt Disney, and his family confirmed that he would have actually been very flattered by Lion King. So it's actually more insulting that Disney tries so hard to pretend it wasn't an influence because it's like, come on. If it was an influence, it's perfectly fine to say that. Like, George Lucas managed to make Star Wars based off of a bunch of old serials, and nobody ever criticizes that, so why not just admit it was an inspiration? Say what you want about gay Paris, at least that doesn't have any racist Paul Winchell cats. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not knocking the Aristocats, I'm just saying. It has Judy Garland, regardless of what songs from the Aristocats it doesn't have, that's totally fine, because anything she touches is magic. Oh yes, this movie wants you to know that Judy Garland is the big selling point of this movie. Like, the trailer literally opens with how a kid's being amazed, like, wow, that's Judy Garland! Say, who is that singing? Isn't that- It sure is, the one and only. You mean Judy Garland? Who else could sing like that but Judy Garland? It was kind of the Robin Williams is the genie of its day, except Judy Garland actually was happy with the movie being merchandised. (laughs) They really used her as a selling point, too. Just about, like, all of the posters have an actual picture on her of it. Like... They, they were really banking hard, like... <laughs> and you know what? It's absolutely worth it because her performance in this movie is delightful. She just she just embodies Musette. Like, they really managed to design Musette as a character that Judy Garland would absolutely play and really design her to her personality as well. In some ways, I wonder if Musette was kind of a heavily relatable character for her because Musette wants freedom and wants to be able to go to a new city. And while I won't go into too much detail about Judy Garland's tragic life, I can't imagine it was all too different from what she faced. Now that you mention it, Musette's whole thing does remind me a lot about her life, how she went out, made it big time, but she was, you know, taken advantage of and all that shit. And she just wanted to go back to her simple life with her man. Judy Garland really deserved so much better in retrospect. So much better. Oh, my God. Oh, man. And it's kind of ironic that she's considered the ultimate gay icon. And this movie's (laughs) called Gay Fury. I think they knew what they were doing. They were like, ah, ah. Oh, Oh, man. If it turns out this was like a shout out to her gay audience. Woke, friends of Dorothy, bespoke, friends of Musette. Yeah. You know what? I'm not gay anymore. I'm just going to start calling myself friend of Musette. (laughs) We might as well also talk about the legendary Chuck Jones. And, well, honestly, at the same time, there's just... What can you say about the guy at this point? He's a legend for good reason. He created Michigan J. Frog. He created Feed the Kitty. He created Duckamuck, a.k.a. the ultimate best ending ever. Just... The guy is a fucking legend. He has a very specific art style that I've noticed through this through the Tom and Jerry shorts that he did, which, hot take, they're really not that bad. I do like them. Right? I think they're charming. So as I was saying, he has a very specific art style that I can't really explain what exactly draws me to it, but watching this, I felt really nostalgic for a movie that I've never actually seen, and I think it's mostly because of the Chuck Jones animation. It's really fantastic in this movie. Absolutely. And plus, he was also a huge king of TV specials, like obviously the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and then also A Cricket in Times Square, A Very Merry Cricket, just 
so many great specials under his wing. And, and I feel like get Gay Puri, as well as the Phantom Tollbooth, was when he was really coming into his all. And he was like, all right, I've been a legend for several decades now. I really want to get into the feature animation business. Walt Disney doesn't have to be the only one, damn it. Especially since in the 60s, like, Walt Disney animation was kind of going downhill. Like, both, well, there was 101 Dalmatians, which did, did really well. But then there was, like... Sword in the Stone and then Sleeping Beauty really hadn't been that big. Jungle Book managed to be a decent success, but it was kind of the time where Mary Poppins had basically swept the 60s for Disney. So it was so damn good that the Walt Disney Company kind of struggled to make something nearly as masterful as it for a while. So you can tell that a lot of animation directors were just like, all right, let's get our A game in, guys. Let's start proving that we can do this little feature length animation thing too. Okay, so to put things into perspective, some of the movies that Disney put out in 1962, Moon Pilot, Bon Voyage, Big Red, The Legend of Lobo. The less successful so follow-up to Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> what the hell? What? I've never heard of any of these. Uh, they're just those titles that were those Troy McClure-esque titles that were showing up on Disney Plus Twitter last year. Come on home where good things are waiting. waiting. Good times are waiting, it's true. I mean, we're all stuck at home now, so yay! <laughs> what I've also noticed, like, just about the whole Chuck Jones style, is that a lot of animation in the 50s and 60s was kind of defined by... It's very simple, you know, backgrounds and colors and limited movement. And I assume that TV animation was, you know, the hot new thing. And a lot of animators and TV studios just did not have the budget for, like, major Disney Tex Avery-styled flowing animation. So they did what they could. And that the whole limited budget animation style kind of ended up becoming a style of its own. And you see it a lot in, like, Hanna-Barbera, Chuck Jones, UPA kind of stuff. And it's really neat. Especially since Chuck Jones was a pioneer in many things. Like, for instance, the Dover Boys was actually one of the very first uses of smear animation. In fact, he almost got in trouble for using smear animation. So the Dover Boys was his big fuck you to the studio. And it was well worth it. It, and for anybody who doesn't know the Dover Boys, time traveled to 2016 because it was one of the best memes ever. God, I remember when that joke was fucking everywhere. I'll steal it! No one will ever know! <laughs> it's a legitimately hilarious short, too. Oh, and by the way, the Dover Boys is in the public domain. So it's not copyrighted. So that means you can do whatever the hell you want with it. Yeah, they've shown up in Animaniacs. Didn't they also show up in Space Jam? If you if you pause and yeah, they did. That's right. Yeah. I was just about to point that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now they got to doubly show up in in Space Jam too, kind of like Frozone's Hidden Wife and in Incredibles too. Like also, I've, I'm just gonna say it now. Just put the gay Paris characters in Space Jam too. Yeah. You can do it, Warner Brothers. You you still own the rights. It's totally fair game. <sighs> Let's just bring every single obscure cartoon character that Warner Brothers has ever made together in Space Jam 2. Like, let's just make it the ultimate end game of Warner Brothers because they're struggling really hard to put out a proper Justice League movie right now. So Space Jam 2 will be their ultimate crossover. 
Just throw a basketball jersey on the cat and throw it in the court. What could go wrong? I'm just saying Space Jam 2 is going to make Avengers Endgame look like kids for character. (laughs) So this was only the second animated film that was made by United Productions of America. The other one was a film called 1001 Arabian Nights, which starred of all characters... Mr. Magoo. Really? Yeah, I guess it was like, let's retell Aladdin, but with Mr. Magoo. It, well, I guess not Aladdin, because that wasn't like the official term until 1992, but <laughs> I never liked Mr. Magoo. That character was always just one joke, and that's, he's blind. <laughs> like, if they kind of did like a TOEF thing with him, where he has fun with pranking people who are like, oh, oh he's so helpless, and it's like, nope, I'm actually the strongest motherfucker around. I mean, that would be fun. Fun, but no, it's just, haha, he kind of messes with people because he's blind. It's, eh. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Mr. Magoo walks so Final Destination could run. <laughs> so this movie opens with a goddamn gorgeous sequence that kind of reminded me a lot of a movie called The Women from 1939, where they have a slow intro that kind of shows every actor and then slowly shows them in their character form. It's really damn neat. And they have this beautiful painting style. It really sets up the vibe for this movie perfectly because it's just a very relaxing and very gorgeous movie to look at. Everything in this movie, the animation is just so perfect. The, the, the backdrops are absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. And it's also a perfect balance of Chuck Jones' really fun cartoon style. The cat's designs are adorable. I love them so much. In fact, I wonder if Robespierre's design was basically Tom in the long run. Oh, yeah. I can, I can see that. They also really fit the types of characters they play, like John Tom's design really fits for Robert Goulet's voice, and Meow Reese is absolutely Paul Freeze as a cat. Like, even if I didn't know if he was voicing him, <laughs> if you pointed to him and said, who do you think he's voiced by, I'd fucking say Paul Freeze without hesitation. Paul Freeze is the most distinct voice like he was absolutely born to be a voice actor and his performance in this movie not to jump ahead is just fucking killer it is amazing from start to finish it's actually kind of funny because the more i listen to his voice the more i can hear the ludwig von drake even without the german accent and and in fact when i was hearing him in this movie i was also heavily hearing the burgermeister in fact i was half expecting him to say I hate toys! (laughs) (laughs) Also, someday, if they ever make a live-action Santa Claus is Coming to Town, they need to get Danny DeVito to play Burgermeister. Yes! But also, don't give them ideas. (laughs) We got a live-action year without a Santa Claus. Enough said. Ugh, with John Goodman, yeah. Maybe next year, guys. Stay tuned. The one upside to a live-action Here Comes Santa Claus would be that they don't have those creepy Glasgow smiles like all the fucking time. The puppet smiles. <laughs> I, I, I hate that because even when they're like sad or crying, they're still smiling. It's like, ooh, I hate it. I love Rankin Bass Christmas specials, but oh God, those weird permanent smiles, just gross. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting learning how a lot of the, the animation those specials was outsourced from Japan, and I can kind of see it. It has a lot of similar expressions you often see in Japanese animation. Yes. So. 
Oh my god, Rankin Bass was the original anime. It's true, and you should say it. Another fun fact we should mention about this movie, this was actually the very first feature that Robert Goulet was ever in. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, the first feature film, because he did theater before that, and he did some shows on and off. Also, one thing I want to mention about Robert Goulet real quick is that he's done a lot of theater work. For example, he was in Camelot as Sir Lancelot. He was in Rodgers and Hammerstein's South Pacific and Carousel. The best thing I know him for is the piano player from Weird Al's You Don't Love Me Anymore video where he gets stabbed in the eye with a cello bow and his hand gets cut off. (laughs) Oh man, I remember that. Oh my god. Yeah, I actually haven't seen the You Don't Love Me Anymore video as many times as I should have. I'm so sorry I'm a failed Weird Al stan, but oh man, that that sequence is fucking great. (laughs) Oh man, I'm on the Wikipedia page for Robert Goulet. And he, I'm reading that he provided the singing voice of Wheezy the Penguin in the big band style finale of the 1999 Pixar film Toy Story 2 when he sings You Got a Friend in Me. So, oh my my God, God. yes, that's right. Yeah, it sounded so familiar. I was like, for the longest time, I was always thinking it was just some generic voice they got because they were like, okay, the whole joke is that Wheezy's voice box is now fixed, so now he can actually sing. And it's like, oh my God, that's Robert Goulet. And then, of course, we should also mention that he was also in the episode of The Simpsons with the casino where he was originally supposed to show up at Burns Casino, but then he goes to Bart's instead by mistake and then he sings the Batman Smells song. <laughs> Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. Batmobile lost its wheel and the Joker got away. Hey! Oh my god, they gotta include that in Space Jam as well. <laughs> so then the movie opens with Musette in a field and she's kind of just chilling out there. Then John Tom gets introduced in and singing the Musette. Musette! Musette. Musette. And I was like, well, everybody was singing Musette, Musette over and over. I was like, oh God, Musette's a cult leader. This is everybody having to sing her song or else (laughs) they'll be sacrificed. (laughs) I'll be like, Musette, Musette, all Macbeth style. (laughs) So you know how there's that Russian cult that worships Gadget from Chippendale Rescue Rangers? (laughs) I'm an unofficial member. I am going to start that cult, but instead of Gadget, we all worship Musette. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically our Judy Garland tribute. We'll just be holding up a sign of Musette and just being like, Musette. Musette. (laughs) Musette. Musette. (laughs) There's one lyric in that song where he says, you will say enchanté when you've met my poupée. I don't want to know what he's implying here. No, no, I don't know what no. a poupee is. <laughs> I'm going to look that up right now, actually. Randy, cause... no. Don't do it. Randy, no. You'll regret it. It's like two girls, one cup. It's a trap. <laughs> I'm seeing like that it means doll, puppet, or toy, or like dummy. Is he saying you will say enchanté when I show you a doll? So John Tom is basically spending most of the intro trying to catch a mouse to impress Musette, but like Musette is just not fucking having it. She's just all, ah, what are you trying to do? Impress me? And it just basically like, she gets so mad at him for being a peasant. And I'm just like, 
Damn, you bitch. That's your boyfriend. Before that, they're, they're, they're just sitting there all snuggled up together. And then then Jean Tom goes for the mouse. And she's like, you're just a big, clumsy country oaf. And then... Don't forget Robespierre, you guys. Oh, jeez. Robespierre is baby. You know, when he first started, I was kind of worried, like, oh, no, he's going to be a preemptive scrappy-doo, isn't he? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. As the movie went on, he got way better. He actually has a lot of really funny lines, and in addition, he has such a charm to him, and he also actually does stuff to help the movie and help John Tom. A moose! I mean, a mouse! (laughs) (laughs) And he's voiced by Red Buttons. Yes, it's kind of adorable seeing him try to mimic John Tom, like the scene where he's He's the little worm come oh, out of the yeah. ground. He's just like, <laughs> I got to talk about that mouse catching bit too. I'm heavily convinced that the physical humor in that is how Chuck Jones got the job for Tom and Jerry. I especially really like how they managed to do a perfect mixture of slapstick as well as just tiny little gags. Like the scenes where the mouse is trying to escape from John Tom's claws and just doing the little animations that were of him jumping and praying. I really love those sequences and it also shows that you don't always need like big sound effects or background music for this type of humor. Sometimes simply just having the little movement is just enough to get a chuckle out of everybody. So I, I should mention what John Tom does to catch the mouse. So he basically just turns himself into an armed weapon. <laughs> he basically turns his eyes and whiskers into a scope, and he sets his sights on the mouse. And the mouse just yeah. accepts defeat right off the bat. And it actually comes back into play later, but yeah. we'll get to that. Oh, one more thing I do want to mention. Probably one of my favorite bits in the whole movie is... A poem dedicated to Musette. Roses are red... Violet's a blue. Here's a mouse from me to you. And then it cuts to John Tom holding the mouse up, and he's got, like, this Stepford smile, and it's amazing. <laughs> I, I lost it. I, I needed a good minute after that scene. They managed to give each character a really unique expression that really just plays well in this style of animation. It's a perfect balance of, of cartoony and kind of relaxed at the same time has a nice fluidity to it. Then Musette goes in where her human is, and then one of her friends, or was it sister? Yes, sister. Jeanette come to visit, and basically she starts describing how, oh, Musette would be perfect in Paris. She deserves to be way more pampered than a simple country life. And it's like, don't enable her! (laughs) Oh, and the sister, too, openly talks shit about Musette's owner right in front of her, and she talks shit about her house while she's cutting, like, onions or something and she's holding a knife yeah i would have just been like shank her (laughs) (laughs) yeah like she's just quietly smiling and just peeling the potatoes and she's like peasants are a very lovely people i was like yes this movie radicalized a generation of kids that's why we need to introduce this more (laughs) thank god (laughs) this movie says eat the goddamn rich And also while while Jeanette was describing all the ways that Musette would be pampered in Paris, I was just mentally thinking like, realistically, a cat would not give a single fuck about being pampered because they just want to sleep in a pizza box. Cats really just don't give a shit either way, whether they're like rich or pampered or groomed or whether you just give them a pizza box to sit in. (laughs) They're cats. And then it leads into our Judy Garland song, and basically hearing her sing, Take my hand, Perry. Yep, instant tears. That whole sequence is absolutely beautiful. Everything about it just 
hits perfectly. The backdrops, Judy's performance. The visuals. Yeah. The animation. <laughs> Some of the backdrops in that scene really reminded me a lot of Mary Blair's art style. Oh, yes. God, yes. Oh, man. I also kind of saw a lot of it in how her designs for Alice in Wonderland too, because you can kind of see a lot of the slower, calmer scenes. Like, I feel like it's illegal to make an animated movie about Paris and not make it look like the most gorgeous thing ever. It also just hit me because this movie takes place in both Provence and Paris. This means that both Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback of Notre Dame get representation in this movie. So then like Musette is just crying because she tells them how, I'm going to Paris! And then they're just like, yeah, John Tom brings her the dead mouse that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> and she flips her fucking shit. She flips her shit at this. Like, she's kind of being a jerk, almost, in this scene. Yeah. Like, like you kind of feel for John Tom. He caught her this, like, nice little mouse, and she's just, like, ragging on him. And she literally just learned what Paris is. Yeah, Randy, in all fairness, you gotta remember, this is basically like the cat equivalent of stabbing a random guy in the street and offering him to your girlfriend as a sacrifice. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) You know, I wonder if any incels ever got their views on women from this movie. They're just like, oh, women don't appreciate what I do for them. (laughs) But John Tom drinks respect women juice. Changed my mind. And it's so funny that like she's going crazy over this because she literally just learned what Paris is like (laughs) less than five minutes ago and already she's decided she is like a high society cat (laughs) (laughs) like please think this through like for five seconds I know you're a cat but I mean in some ways she does kind of come to develop it's kind of more of a be careful what you wish for situation where she's kind of led into paradise and then she doesn't realize oh wow paradise is actually secretly hiding a bunch of horrible shit it's basically the paradise sucks (laughs) (laughs) it's basically the matrix of its day like you live in the best utopia ever but deep down it's actually fucking horrible (laughs) deep down there's a cat voiced by Paul Freeze. (laughs) hey you yes you are you a fan of disney parks but are upset you can't go right now do you want your own chance to make some magic happen do you like art comedy and tomfoolish shenaniganery then have we got some good news for you In an effort to help laid-off Disney cast members and similar park employees, at Thanks for Magic is hosting a 36-hour charity livestream. Set your calendars for noon Pacific Standard Time on Saturday, December 5th, so we can all come together and say, Thanks for the Magic! If you want to help make this happen, follow at Thanks for Magic on Twitter for updates. Together, we can make sure that those who helped us make magic, get some magic in return. Oh, yeah, we should mention, too, Robespierre tells her off after she basically calls them, like, plebeian peasants. You know, he was kind of justified, let's be fair. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't really be mad at him. He basically tells her to fuck off, and that basically leads into (laughs) her stowing away and going to Paris. So then she sneaks onto Jeanette's car, and then she manages to find a way to sneak onto the train. That leads into our second song, Roses Red, Violets Blue, and... Oh, it's such a beautiful sequence. It's like... It's a much more upbeat song, too. I feel like I've heard the melody of this song somewhere before, but I can't really place where I've heard it. 
Like the roses red, violets blue. It kind of reminded me a lot of the song that's kind of playing throughout the Dover Boys. Oh, Dora dear, sweet Dora dear, keep courage up and chin held high. The stalwart sons of OPU are here at hand to do or die. Pew pew, we're all for you. Yay, boom. That's where we get introduced to our villain of the movie, which he's basically a villain. Like, the way they designed him, like, you can instantly tell right off the spot. In fact, I wonder if he was the design inspiration for Mr. Mistopheles, because as soon as <laughs> I took one look at him, I was like, oh, well, never have I ever a cat so mad. And now they're going to remake this movie with horrible CGI. No. <laughs> Ew, no. <laughs> oh god what have i manifested <laughs> pretty soon they're gonna also make that yellow submarine robert zemeckis remake <laughs> what the fuck normally i don't say this about a movie but i am so glad that that never happened thank god marsney's mom's bombed <laughs> i think someone needed to tell robert zemeckis that it's okay to stop well nobody told him that for welcome to marwin so <laughs> Listen, just because you think it looks good doesn't mean it looks good to everyone else. You made three great Back to the Futures. Now stop. You're going to see a lot of shit. <laughs> and so then he basically starts describing how, oh, I can make you so famous and I can make you an absolute beaut. I'll take you to my good friend. And it's like, oh, God, Maurice is a cat trafficker. Like, right off the bat, you can tell this guy is a skeevy mofo. Now Reese is going to be found on the Epstein flight logs. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> also, I got to get this out real quick. Some people call me Meow Reese. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> One thing I love about Meow Reese is that he's a tuxedo cat, but he's actually, like, a tuxedo? Oh my god, yeah, they kind of design it so it looks like he's wearing a tuxedo, and then he kind of has a little hair. Also, the whiskers kind of form, like, the evil handlebar mustache, too. Yes! <laughs> it's very good character design on Chuck's part. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> Absolutely. And so then John, Tom, and Rose Pierre get to the train station, and then they meet this really old blue cat who's all, oh, if I saw her, I would have known. And... <laughs> <laughs> It's basically like, well, then why are you even asking him? He's probably suffering from Alzheimer's. <laughs> and so then they have to chase the train, and then it cuts to a sequence where they're trying their best not to fall off the bridge. And it's actually a really fun little sequence. I feel like it was just an excuse to kind of get a little bit of fun slapstick animation in, or maybe it was a studio mandate, but it's a really cute sequence. Oh, you're talking about the part where Rose Pierre's on uh, John Tom's back, and he almost falls off the train tracks, and he's... <laughs> like hanging on by a thread. That was very Looney Tunes <laughs> in the best way. Absolutely. <laughs> it basically reminds me a lot of like whenever you see, not just when they're in the air gags, but when they kind of drag it out for a while where like the person doesn't even realize they're in the air until like, or like Bugs Bunny is tricking them into, into going off the cliff. <laughs> so then we meet Madam something something. Madame Rubens Chate. Basically, she's his sister and the Persian cat. And she looks like Hermione Gingold voices her. It's just a perfect design. Like, every design is just perfectly tailored. You know what's funny? For some reason, her character design reminds me a lot of that terrifying Cheshire cat puppet from Adventures in Wonderland. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I can kind of see the Cheshire cat influence in general. Like, you just dump like a shitload of pink paint on the puppet. <laughs> Try saying that three times fast. 
Also, I feel like if they ever made this movie for the stage, I feel like it would be played by all drag queens, and I would live for that. Oh my that. god, yes. Yes. I could especially see uh, Madame Rubens played by a drag queen. Like, I can just see someone lavishing the role. It'd be beautiful. Make the movie gayer! Make the movie yeah. gayer! It's <laughs> called gay. Purry. <laughs> Not straight. Early queer bait. <laughs> Does this movie have, like, a full-on cult following because i haven't really been able to see anything regarding that you know i don't think i've actually seen a lot outside of really hardcore animation stands who really like getting into the more obscure titles honestly not really which kind of surprised me it's like especially with how much chuck jones cartoons have gotten just massively popular like the feed the kitty gets referenced a ton dover boys obviously and then there's also everybody and their mother has referenced the end of duck amuck so oh my god what if this movie just ended with like i was half expecting like the bridge sequence to end with like them still trying to hold on and then the bridge just gets erased and they're like all right this is the last straw who's doing this or like a close-up you morons a (laughs) close-up they zoom out and there's meowries it die a stinkill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fun fact, that sequence in Duckamuck kind of used to scare me for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe I just had scopophobia when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it cuts to a sequence where Maurice is basically pampering Musette and kind of teaching her, like, all right, do the whole balance the bowl of water on your head trick. And basically, Madame Rubens is just so unsatisfied, like, turn her into a lady i can turn her into a lady and then they're basically discussing a deal where if meow reese can pamper her up enough that basically they'll be able to sell her to america and then it cuts to the best damn non-judy garland song in the movie the money cat oh the money cat and this is where we meet his associates too and i gotta say they really creep me out it's really hard to explain. It's sort of like they look like cats, but they don't. They're like shadows. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They remind me a lot of the suit sprites from Spirited Away. I actually really like their designs. They had such a fun charm to them. They really move really fluidly. Like, a lot of their animation kind of reminded me of the Red Baron slash Snoopy in Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, where, like, the little sequences where he's moving along, like, it was kind of that where they were just so fluid. They kind of, they just fit perfectly into the song, and then they're singing about how, well, we're gonna be so rich and we're gonna be so... (laughs) Again, we keep talking about how good this animation is, but it really fits. Like, it's just so, so great. It's just one of the most perfect blends of more cartoony animation and beautiful backgrounds. Like, nothing in it looks out of place. Like, the backgrounds are, like, truly sinister for a really upbeat song, and I think that's part of what creeps me out about it so much. (laughs) I was half expecting that it was going to turn out that all those assistants were actually secretly Meow Reese's shadows, and then this was just like a weird version of Harvey with James Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Only with a cat instead of a rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my what's the attraction for this is that you stop in front of the singing bus in the Haunted Mansion, and they do a duet of the money cat with the ghost host. My what's the attraction is that they're going to bring back the great movie ride, but then halfway through, Dorothy's just going to get the cat flu and she turns into Musette, and it's going to secretly turn out to be Escape from Tomorrow. (laughs) Hey guys, uh, Tony's right outside my window, and he has like a really angry look on his face right now. I think we should cut this out. (laughs) 
You gotta hear mine, though. My what's the attraction for this is, uh... Whatever Disney does that is for the Aristocats is basically for Gay Paris anyway, so... Yes. <laughs> yeah, guys, he's, he's holding up a cease and desist right now. Uh... <laughs> All right, I'll get the taser. <laughs> so then Maurice decides to take Musette out into Paris, and it's kind of an excuse to kind of just show off how beautiful Paris is, but I don't mind it at all. But also... Cat puns. Cat puns. Oh. <laughs> they go to places like the Moulin Rouge. My personal favorite pun. Now they got to remake Moulin Rouge, but with cats. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear a John Tom talking about, I've never been in love. Then just singing like jukebox songs. <laughs> you would also get Paul Freeze singing like a virgin. <laughs> You know, fun fact, I actually had never heard of the original version of Roxanne before I saw Moulin Rouge. So when I heard it for the first time, I realized, oh, the original's a rock song. It's not like a big ballad. I was like, huh? <laughs> but anyway, and so then they cut to like Maurice and Musette in a buggy and then they start randomly singing a song about kissing. And I'm like, this is going in a creepy direction. <laughs> I will say this about the song. It gave us Paul Freeze saying clippy clop, clippy clop in a threatening manner. <laughs> yeah, the song is called A Horse Can't Talk, which basically says people kiss in buggies because a horse won't like judge you. I don't know. <laughs> but cats in this movie can talk, apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's basically just the logic of the movie Dinosaur, where like only certain dinosaurs can talk. And meanwhile, big predatory ones can't. It's stupid. <laughs> but you know what? I'll forgive it in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's kind of fascinating that besides the horses and the bulldog that shows up later, there's not really many other animals in this movie. Oh, and the mice. There's not really that many other animals in this movie. Like, it's like, oh god, cats are now the main species. The humans are just for, there for flavor. <laughs> so eventually, John, Tom, and Robespierre do get to France, and they're calling out for Musette, and basically, I'm assuming, in this universe, cat language just automatically transfers to meowing, so they're all getting shooed away by, like, a bunch of different people, and I swear to god, I heard Mel Blanc as Bugs Bunny as one of the people shooing them away. Music! Quiet! Stop that noise! Go away, you silly little pussycat! You don't want that way! We don't want that way! <laughs> oh my god! He is in this movie, so... Yeah, oh my god. In fact, the bulldog he voices later actually looks so much like the dog in Feed the Kitty. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, Maurice is basically that kitten in the short grown-up. Oh my god! He turned evil! We were betrayed! He should have been turned <laughs> into a cookie. <laughs> yes! I'm sure DeviantArt would have a field day with that. Oh god! <laughs> so then one of Maurice's henchmen actually finds John Tom and Rovis Piers and throws them into the sewer. And then it leads to a pretty fun sequence where they're trying to slowly get out of there. And oh my god, the, another Rovis Piers line I forgot to mention was like one scene where he's getting all annoyed with John Tom and is like, fine, I'll go on my own. And then John Tom's just like, okay, goodbye. And then like <laughs> Rovis Piers just like, no, wait, I'll be all alone. No, no. So then he just runs back. It's, that got a laugh out of me. Robespierre is basically just John Tom's simp. <laughs> I really wanted to hate Robespierre. I really did. But he just warmed his way into my heart. 
like he does with everybody, so. Yes, and Red Buttons just has that perfect delivery for him. <laughs> Plus, he's like such a tiny little cat with the big eyes and the paw. How could you not love that design? He's so cute. All right. And so he then... would have made some bestseller plushies. Absolutely. Absolutely. If only people knew more about this movie. And again, it's a shame nobody does. I'm just going to spoil it now. This is going to be a huge keep the tapes for me. Kitty, you're breaking the formula. No. No. The, the wormhole <laughs> breaks open. <laughs> you fools. You've messed with the natural order. Nope. So eventually, Meow Reese and John Tom and Robespierre's paths do cross. Yeah, and so then he notices John Tom's mousing skills that are slowly developing, and he decides one way to get rid of them will be to trick them into thinking, oh, I think you're an amazing mouser. Come on, let's start a business together. And so then he takes them to a bar, that, which leads to such a bizarre sequence. Basically, their attempt to do pink elephants and bubbles. Bubbles. Or they get so high off of alcoholic bubbles and I'm like... They take a sip of champagne and they just get so wasted. They're already like blackout. And also like when Robespierre in the movie earlier is all, you'll be drinking champagne and such. I was just like, oh my God, is that where Zap Brannigan got his inspiration for how he pronounced it? You want the rest of the champagne? No. And it's pronounced champagne. Oh, God, no! Oh, my God, another fun fact I forgot to mention. Abe Simpson on The Simpsons was actually named after the director of this movie, Abe Levito. Really? Holy shit! Yeah, if you go on the Wikipedia page, it's listed as that. And I think also it was the name of Matt Groening's son or grandson? Let me check. Oh, no, his grandfather. That champagne, though, I think they might have laced that champagne with, like, PCP or something, because... <laughs> Who gets that blackout wasted to a point where you're hungover and somewhere you don't know where, how you got there after, like, a sip? <laughs> I have a feeling that the bartender's just working with Maurice behind the scenes, because he definitely looked like a shady guy, too. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, he put something in that. <laughs> yep. Fun for the whole family. It's a fun sequence, too. It's like they have these little orange and blue designs. I don't know if it inspired Heffalumps and Woozles, because I know the Winnie the Pooh shorts came out the same decade, but they were definitely coinciding with each other at the least. Oh, by the way, I won't spoil it, but I found a treasure trove for the Channel KRT toy store later when this gets released. Oh, yeah. I found a board game and a sticker coloring book. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) We got to find that board game. Yeah. Yeah, definitely post those to the Twitter because we are definitely unprepared for the KRT Toy Store this week. Sorry, guys. Yeah. (laughs) We'll probably make it up in the next episode. Well, we don't have to do KRT Toy Store every episode, but yeah. We didn't do one for ghosts, because... Why would we? The only toy is Michael Jackson playing with your brain. <laughs> the only toy is Michael Jackson playing with... And the podcast has been shut down. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he ships them off to Alaska. And then he also starts writing, like, a letter to Madame Pierre, which is foreshadowing a later event where it revealed that he uses disappearing ink, which... 
what someone figure that out like they receive something <laughs> from him like do they just not look at the check until like it completely disappears no like the moment she looks at the check everything starts disappearing so it's the kind that's convenient <laughs> Also, I want to say the way Robespierre and John Tom get back to Paris is just so contrived that I actually kind of love it. <laughs> Me too. <It's> <laughs> so basically <laughs> what happens is in Alaska, somehow Robespierre strikes gold and they use that to pay for their flight back to Paris. <laughs> I can't remember if it was before or after that. Jean-Tom is just sitting there, like, imagining Musette in this puddle, and the song Little Drops of Rain comes on, which yeah. is another Judy Garland one that is just amazing. And I can't remember if she's- I swear to God, there was a song from this movie that she sang for, like, a TV appearance, and I can't remember which one, but I think it was this. Uh, maybe if I look it up real quick. <laughs> yes! She sang this song twice on TV, actually. She sang it on the Jack Parr show in 1962, and she sang it on her own show for the Christmas special. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, she had her own show in the 60s. It was pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Just every time I think about her in the 60s, I think about when she and Margaret Hamilton reunited. And she just was like, you're my favorite witch. Just Aww. fucking crying. She probably considered Margaret Hamilton more of a mother figure than her own mother. And I'm just like, oh. Fun fact, Margaret Hamilton was like the only person on the Oz set that ever really gave a shit about Judy. Aww. Like she consistently like stood up for her and defended her and was just so nice to her. Oh man, yeah. And then she tried to kill her for a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. And then also another thing I wanted to mention about the little drops of rain sequence was also cut to showing a beautiful sequence under the sea. Although then my brain just started going like bobbing along. Bobbing along on the beautiful Bridey Sea. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it looks pretty similar. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it inspired the beautiful Bridey sequence in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. <laughs> so then Musette is finishing up her training back in Paris, and then Maurice is like, all right, she's perfect. So then it cuts to a sequence of Musette and a bunch of different artist styles. And when it's a really fun sequence, it's always kind of fun to see tributes to artists because they go over at the following Claude Monet, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, Georges Zerat, Henri Rousseau, Amadeo Modigliani, Vincent van Gogh, Edgar Degas, Auguste Renoir, Paul Cezanne, Paul Gauguin, and the Pablo Picasso sequence, which, by the way, that was the only one that made me like, yeah! Because the way it's designed is just like, yeah! That was the one piece of animation that actually looked not good. Also, it's worth mentioning, too, do these artists know that they are like directly corresponding with a cat cat trafficker <laughs> oh my god yeah like i feel like most of these artists just saw this cat that could talk and was paying them money to paint this other cat and they were just like you know what we're just gonna go with it <laughs> this is the french art revolution 
of the early 1900s. We'll just do anything at this point. They were basically just high on the alcoholic bubbles and they were just seeing this talking cat voiced by Paul Freeze and just being like, yes, Mr. Freeze, here you go. <laughs> oh, shit, theory. Meow Reese gave them all that weird drugged champagne and that made them just completely bow to the demands of this weird talking cat. <laughs> To be fair, don't we worship cats already, even minus alcohol? True. <laughs> That's true, yes. But if a cat talked to me and said, hey, you're one of the greatest artists of all time, can you paint this cat that I plan on literally trafficking? I'd probably be like, okay, talking cat. <laughs> I mean, he probably left that part out, at least. Yeah. So, who knows? <laughs> Oh, you never know. <laughs> and so then it's kind of more of the usual, oh, you're going to be so big and we're going to have you all perfect. And then, so then that cuts to the sequence we were talking about with the invisible ink and the check. And so then the Madame Rubens is just like, ah, fuck you. And so then he takes Musette to his hideout in Notre Dame because, oh my God, Maurice was the original Frollo. I'm just saying, we deserve Paul Freeze singing Hellfire. Yes. Oh my God. Maybe it was because it was owned by Universal at the time, but I wonder if Walt ever actually wanted to do Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, it seems like something that at least would have been in Fantasia. So then he's like, I'm going to ship you to America and you're going to get in this damn crate. And then for some reason, he sees this portrait that Mr. Fit drew and then he's like fat and old in it. And then she's just <laughs> like, nope, I'm out. And so then it leads to a chase sequence with the henchman. And that leads to them with the bulldog voice by Mel blank you know another thing that i just realized about this movie it's one of three animated cat movies with a white cat and an orange cat as the leads like there's this the aristocats and cats don't dance oh shit so they all ripped each other off. It all goes back to gay Paris. Basically, then Melblanc injures Maurice, and then he's just like, oh, my tail, my poor tail. And so then the, the entire six weeks, they're just spending the whole time looking for Musette. I'm just like, don't these people, like, have other female cats to traffic? Like, couldn't they just go find <laughs> other female cats and then just be like, I mean, it's Paris. Like, there's got to be at least one other pampered cat there. Wait, so that was six weeks? Yeah, I guess in the movie that was supposed to be six weeks passing by, and it's like, yeah. what the hell? I could have sworn <laughs> just by cartoon logic it could have been, like, at least a day. <laughs> I, I guess that could explain why it looks like Jean-Tom and Robespierre got back to Paris from Alaska so fast, but the six <laughs> weeks things, when you put it into that perspective, that makes total sense. They don't even really do like a transition with that. They kind of just show like newspapers and I'm like, ah, to go back when news was so slow, we had to report on cats digging up gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss those days. Oh, man. <laughs> and so then they get back to Paris and then Musette is basically walking around the streets and she sings another song that really hits especially in 2020 paris is a lonely town like i'm wondering if anybody dug up that song when covid 19 first began like when cities were going on lockdown like this city looks like the covid 19 hit it because i was surprised it wasn't super busy in the background like it's paris it's got people all out all the time but yeah, it's still better than like in the wild where they show New York at night, but they obviously can't animate humans, so it's empty as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least Gay Paris is a good movie. Yeah, exactly. fuck the wild. <laughs> 
in this house, we hate the wild. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we also hate Buck Cluck. Buck Cock. <laughs> That's the poor <laughs> You're welcome. Also, that song, Paris is a Lonely Town, when you were talking about the trailer earlier... That's the song they went with. Spoilers! I feel like that song is when her voice is just at its most, like, powerful. Yes, oh my god. Like, if their point was to sell Judy Garland being in the movie, they've succeeded massively. Like, that alone, I would have been like, fuck yes! (laughs) Not even knowing how many more amazing people are in the movie. Like, And you can tell that this is the Wizard of Oz songwriters because they kind of have very similar styles. Kind of the long emotional songs as well as the fun little sequence songs. It really fits for the type of songwriters they are. I, I feel like they were really, really hoping that Little Drops of Rain would be the new Over the Rainbow. Oh, definitely. Like Again, it's a massive shame this movie never caught on. Yeah, oh my god. this would've... Yeah, because Little Drops of Rain could totally work as the new Over the Rainbow. They would have coexisted peacefully. <laughs> I feel like Little Drops of Rain and Paris is a Lonely Town were especially adamant for... A lot of the LGBT community at the time and how they looked up to Judy Garland. So imagine if they all went to go see this. These songs must have hit like a brick for them. A brick at Stonewall! (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Musette through the first brick. Yes. You know what? I've decided both she and John Tom are bisexual. Yes. Yay. Also, I think when we were talking about both Paris is a Lonely Town and Little Drops of Rain possibly trying to be the next Over the Rainbow... That kind of reminds me that there actually is a deleted sequence in The Wizard of Oz that you can still hear the audio of, where there was supposed to be a reprise of Over the Rainbow, but it's with Dorothy in the Witch's Castle. Oh, And she's, like, singing it through tears. I I feel like they deleted that because, like, shit got a little too real right there. Oh, yeah. I I didn't know about that. Wow. That would have just broken me when I was a kid, like, just... Feeling trapped and alone, like, that absolutely would have encapsulated how Judy must have felt as a young girl, like... But yeah, you can find the audio just about anywhere. The visuals are probably gone, destroyed, I don't know what happened to them, but there's the audio still exists, you can listen to it, it's a trip. <laughs> By the way, speaking of musicals, someday they're gonna make a musical about Maurice similar to Wicked, where they explain his backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would so be there for it. <laughs> I traffic cats and I am voiced by Paul Freese. And then also they'll make like a sequel to K. Perry where it's now a horror film. Like Musette returns to Paris and just it's fucking terrifying <laughs> as hell. Like everything's yes. completely broken. And then basically like she's joined by like a pumpkin cat and like a cat who's just stuck in a couch and then a robot cat. <laughs> and it's live action. So then, because, of course, Musette is a female lead in a 60s animated movie, she, of course, gets captured by Meow Reese. Before that, when she realizes she's cornered, she just straight up tries to kill herself. Yeah, what was that? That was like, dark. Like, she's about to jump in the river. What the hell? And, and they catch her in, like, this bag, but... She is literally just deciding, you know what, I'm just gonna jump in the river. She just, like, tries to kill herself, basically, and it's like, that is, like, pretty fucking dark. This is a creepypasta. Change my mind. <laughs> Again, this movie is really good at balancing the lighthearted comedy with, you know, some really 
heavy topics for a kid's movie. Honestly, yeah. Like, they especially know how to perfectly balance, like, okay, so we'll keep slapstick to this scene, and then they manage to make the emotional scenes just really work, and they especially know how to use the music properly and give some sequences just quiet scenes, and it really fits. It lets you take in the atmosphere of the movie. And Nothing in this movie really feels forced. It's a movie where a cartoon cat attempts suicide, and they actually make you feel for it. Absolutely. Just, oh god, did this predict the ending of Tom and Jerry? Oh my god. <laughs> I think that might have actually came out before that. I'm not sure. Oh, another thing I wanted to mention was that I feel like the bubble sequence definitely had to have inspired the floating sequence in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, it's oh, just way yeah. too similar to not be that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Tom and Jerry were at Willy Wonka and Tom and Jerry. No! No, that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> no, we're not reviewing that. <laughs> and we're not doing Tom and Jerry Wizard of Oz either. That one also sucked. <laughs> <laughs> they captured Musette after she tried to kill herself, and they put her in the box, and they're on the train to go sell her to the Pennsylvania cat. So then Maurice is eating sardines and just going like, rup, rup. And he's like, canned fish, what will they think of next? And I was like, oh my god, he's now on that one show, Science International, that was on Nickelodeon in 1980. Brady named it to, what will they think of next? <laughs> And it's funny because after that, he says something like canned, like, girls, I think. And it cuts to, like, Musette in the box. And canned pretty girls. I was like, ah! Creepy! 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 <laughs> There's a bit where the madam comes back briefly. Oh, And yeah. I just want to point this line out because it's another one of my favorite lines in this movie. So John Tom and Rose Pierre mm -hmm. catch up with her because they want to know where Musette is. And she tells them and... She says this. Never mind the thanks. Just give Maurice my love and then turn him inside out. Now hurry, hurry. <laughs> I, that's it. She's awesome. <laughs> Even certain villains can have redemption, but Absolutely. not Maurice. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think she fully knew Musette was getting trafficked, but at least she redeemed herself as soon as she realized she got scammed. Yeah, that's fair. So then Madame Rubens actually helps them, and they're like, you know what? You get on the train. And so then one of the things that John Tom really gets into is when his mousing skills come into full deus ex mousina. Ah! hey <laughs> And so then he starts seeing Maurice as like a mouse, and he just starts his big mousing skills with the jumping, the rotoscope eyes. And he beats the fuck out of him oh god like literally yes. just punching him in the face oh, over god. and over and over and it's just it's so satisfying to see stop he's already dead and then he's swinging the henchman like a rope and then throws him off the train and then you see a little <laughs> shadow sequence where john tob and meowrys are fighting and it's really fun to see it in the shadows it's just, it's so good. Everything about this movie hits in the right spots. It's... Oh, one more thing I wanted to say about the train sequence. I was half also expecting it to cut to one of the other cars, and it turns out it's the train in Paddington 2, and the, like, Hugh Grant is just getting thrown right off. <laughs> 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 so then they pack Maurice into the crate, and then they're like, now you're getting sold to Mr. Fit. <laughs> it's like... The 
that's another thing the Aristocats ripped off. At the end of the Aristocats, when they send the butler to Timbuktu when the cats were supposed to go there, they totally ripped that off from Vaporee <laughs> too. Basically, both the butler and Maurice are going to be like on the same ship. And then once somebody finally gets them, they're going to be dead in the box. <laughs> <laughs> So then it cuts to Musette and John, Tom, and Rose here deciding, you know what? Living Hall High life is actually great. Fuck peasant life. And then they start seeing Musette again. And then the movie ends. One thing I need to mention, too, is that we never see Musette's owner again. So... Oh, my God. Yeah. Does she even know she's gone? Where the fuck did my cat go for six weeks? <laughs> she probably was filing, like, a police report on her sister after that. Like, you stole her, didn't you? you fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for our favorite segment here on channel krt preserve the tape or erase every copy and i'm personally saying preserve it this is a treasure this has so many awesome people attached to it i, I think it's only real problem is that it just kind of feels a little slow but other than that preserve the shit out of this tell more people about it this deserves to like be way more loved and known than it actually is yeah you basically said it as well as i ever could so i am definitely gonna have to preserve it as well but i also do want to say it it's just a shame nobody really ever caught on to this movie because it really is fun from beginning to end the songs again they stay they're still stuck in my head right now even and they're probably going to be stuck in my head for a very long time, so... Absolutely, I agree. This is a massively underrated film, like, a really underappreciated piece of 60s animation culture, which is funny because this had to have inspired a ton of different animation styles and animated movies, and I think it even took a lot of inspiration from others as well. It's the perfect blend. In addition, you can kind of see how Chuck Jones just pushed himself to the top in this decade with especially when he created the Grinch later on and then a lot of his TV specials also and how he managed to get the opening and closing scene sequences in Gremlins and stay tuned and just and in Mrs. Doubtfire just this is him really coming into his all as a director like being able to just swing big for the fences and say I can do what Disney's been doing for almost two decades now I can prove that feet Feature-length animation doesn't just have to be Disney, and he succeeded, honestly. Like, the movie's definitely got its little riffable moments, but I love this movie. It's a huge keep the tapes for me. Alright, it is plug time now. You can find me at Cosmic Rewinds, just replace the E with the 3 on Twitter. And you can follow me on my two other accounts, No Context Harley Quinn and No Context TGIF. I promise I'll update them. I know I've been slow, but stuff's coming, I promise. And I am over on at Michion Breakout on Twitter. I'm over at A Walking Pun on Instagram. And you can also find me crying in every corner. You can find me on Twitter at TylerFG, Instagram at Tyler FG96. And as always, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for the feedback we've been getting. We've been already been getting a solid fan base. Some really good reviews have been coming into us through Apple Podcasts. So yes, shout out to you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. It means the world and really helps us we get love out you. there. We really do. Yeah, so as always, be sure to like and subscribe, spread the word, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, download 
any of our episodes. Anything helps, really. And since we're here, I guess this is a good time to announce something huge for the three of us. In last week's Escape from Vault Disney, you probably heard a familiar voice telling you guys that the next episode of that podcast will be on The Great Muppet Caper. Well, I'm happy to announce that not only will I be on Escape from Vault Disney, but it's going to be a full-blown Channel KRT crossover. No spoilers, but it was one of the most fun I've ever had recording a podcast, and I already have a ton of fun recording podcasts, so it was absolutely amazing. It was a blast. Y'all are going to love it. Yeah, so depending on which comes out first, you're going to get a double dose of Channel KRT goodness this week, so heck yeah, we're gonna there you be, go. We're gonna be bringing on the nostalgia. And it's kind of a perfect follow up to our Puzzle Place episode two and our discussion of Muppet alumni. So we get to go back into a essential piece, if not the essential piece of Muppet history. So stay tuned for that. Also, shout out All to right. the actual Muppet History Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Like Josh guy. is a king. We love him. And this is Shane LKRT cutting the static. 